This week's major spoilers podcast goes out to Robert Lamer. Uh, that's Robert Lamer. Lamer? Lammers? Yes, Robert Lammers. Yes. My daughter has a stuffed animal named Lammers. Anyway, Robert, thanks a lot, buddy. This show goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, he's not Red Arrow Ugh. anymore, but he didn't listen to the advice of Grandmaster Flash. Plus, fire and ice come on like a dream, but take a little piece of Booster's heart. Oh yeah, all right, take it easy, baby. Make it last all night. You are an American vampire. Also, Stephen was right, but he still ain't happy about it. Plus, Muppet Deathmatch! And there's a cross-dressing goblin in the well, a zombie on the lawn, and butter on Rodrigo's head. Okay, Ditka versus the Hurricane. Who wins? I don't know. Ditka. Who wins? Ditka. Ditka versus the Major Spoilers Podcast. Who wins? Ditka. Ditka. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Got a lot of cover this week, including lock and key head games that we'll get to later in the show. Plus uh, Muppet Deathmatch, which was sent in by one of our listeners, which has turned into a very popular poll. But first, why don't we get to the news this week? This past weekend on BBC America, Vertigo ran a Fables commercial. There's a brand new Scott Pilgrim trailer that reveals much more, including the seven boyfriends. Or I guess seven Seven exes. exes. Yes. Uh, The Green Lantern synopsis has been posted wide across the internet. (laughs) Del Toro. Guy with ring punches things hard. The end. Del Toro leaves The Hobbit. Michael Bay is going to produce a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. James McAvoy is Professor X. And new old golden age, or as Matthew would say, platinum age heroes come to Dynamite (laughs) Entertainment. All hail the golden age. Let's spin that magic wheel of destiny, see where we land this week. Lands on number one. Vertigo goes uh, and does a Fables commercial. So during the uh, Doctor Who Star Trek The Next Generation marathon that ran on BBC America over the Memorial Day weekend, specifically on Saturday, Vertigo ran a Fables commercial. And they were promoting the Bill Willingham series and promoting the, the trade collection. Mm-hmm. Did you guys cool. get a chance to check this out, Rodrigo? Did you see it? Yes. On the website or on the On actual... the website. Hey, Matthew, what about you? Did you have a chance to look at it yet? They didn't air any Doctor Who this weekend, so I didn't watch BBC, but I did catch it on the website. Ah, okay. So we saw what the commercial looked like. Hey, great. People are going left and right. Sounds like someone's actually listening to you, Stephen. What else are they listening to you for? Well, I told you about the MPAA is finally wanting to do movies in the home, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I've talked about how I love the iPad, and now all these other websites are finally coming out and going, hey, you know, reading comics on the iPad, isn't that that bad? And where's Comic-Con going? Well, that we'll find out hopefully in a few weeks, so stay tuned for that. Now, most people would say, oh, Stephen, you must be really happy about that. First of all, what did you guys think of the commercial? Um, I thought it was, I thought it was decent. It it definitely doesn't cover a lot of information. It's just, it's just like the very most basic premise of fables. Right. But 
presumably that's enough to get people hooked in. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a it's a really cool pitch, right? It's using um, the fantastic cover art. Yep. That I think honestly the only problem with it is that fables came out how long ago like the uh, very first like one like 2002 nine years yeah nine ten years ago yeah yeah um back when fairy tales hadn't been done to death right um right now with the abysmal box office uh we'll say a performance of you know shrek the 19th and it just seems to me that people have kind of had it with that like retweaked fairy tale mm, okay. deal mm-hmm. so it's it's weird for the commercial to come out now because people who aren't familiar with it will probably say, "Oh, this is just somebody trying to rehash that." That's that's just like my basic knee jerk reaction. The commercial was good, good production quality, good times. Yeah, Matthew. I think that it was a great commercial for anyone who already knows what Fables is about. I think that, you know, as far as what I gleaned from it, I already know Fables. I've already read Fables and I look at that and I go, Yes, I would like to read more fables based on that. I don't know if you just, re- you know, you hadn't read any fables and all of a sudden, Kablamicus, here's this commercial. I don't necessarily think that it tells you what you really need to know. It doesn't really, you know, say, yeah, this mean, awesome series is available in trade paperback and junk. It's just like, here's a, here's a pitch. Yeah, it basically it says, here are these characters. They're forced to live in the real world to compete and then there's all these flashy great wonderful images of people with guns and you don't see cinderella carrying a gun and all these little romance bits and you see that it's a graphic novel that the washington post says is wonderful and the new york times says is compelling and oh by the way you can read the first issue for free over at vertigo let's see vertigobooks.com you can read the very first issue for free hey that's great that's great my what my understanding is, and this is the problem that I have with this commercial. Well, what's the key to a commercial, Rodrigo? Um, to get you to want something and possibly tell you how to buy it. Matthew, what's the key to a commercial? The key to a commercial is generally an annoying woman named Tammy tells you you have to have it by the day after tomorrow. What's the key to a successful commercial? I'm guessing he's not liking our answers, What's the key to a successful commercial? Location, location, location. Repetition, repetition, repetition. My understanding is this commercial aired once. Yeah. Okay? So that's great that they aired it. And if if I am mistaken, I hope somebody corrects me, people who saw this. People who Twittered me said, hey, I saw this commercial you were talking about. They didn't tell me how many times it ran or if it ran more than one time. But if this commercial only ran one time... It didn't do its job. Yeah, it's kind of pointless the, to have a commercial run once. Well, unless you're in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Uh, then, yeah. then there's some well, even then. But even then, they air them after the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, right. you already but, spent $30,000 on a commercial. You might right. as well air it more. Right. And so I think that that is my only, my only complaint of why I'm still not happy is if this only ran one time, they really did themselves a disservice because... When Vertigo posted this news last week on their website, they didn't say when on Saturday it was going to air, so people couldn't tune in at a specific time. They just said it was Saturday evening. Well, Saturday evening could run from anywhere from 5 o'clock until 9 o'clock. Yeah, but chances are if you're tuning in to watch this commercial because you saw it on Vertigo's website, the commercial's not aired to you, not, not aimed towards you. Uh, well, that's true too. But unless you wanted to say, "Oh, what's this commercial going to look like? Mm-hmm. What are they going to talk about?" You know, that's all we knew is that they were running a fables a fables commercial. Uh, but if they only ran it once, uh, that would be the that would be the bad the bad thing. Um, otherwise, hey, great! I, I love the idea of it, and I hope more people do this. 
But again, if you're only running it once, you're not getting your message across. In uh, in television, Matthew, you work in television. Rodrigo, you work in television. I uh, have worked in television and other places. In order to get a message across effectively, you need to repeat it how many times? At least three. Seven. Seven times in order for people to get it. In order for people to get it, you have to repeat it seven times. Seven times. What so, part of my in body order do I apply this directly to? What's this? What part of my body do I apply this directly to? <laughs> you apply it directly to your brain. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. In order for Vertigo to see some kind of success out of this, people now need to go out and buy the book. Yes. So I'm going to say, if you have never uh, read the, the first <laughs> Fables trade... Go out there and get the first Fables trade between now and, let's say, the 15th of June. Mm -hmm. Go out and order it from Amazon. Go and purchase it at your bookstore, whatever. Go out and find that first Fables trade. You won't be disappointed. It actually is a really good story. Conveniently, you can go back and listen to a major spoilers podcast in which we talk about it. Yes. Copyright 2008. (laughs) Was that what it was? I can't remember. So go I don't check. know. He just said it the exact same way that the Brian voiceover Brian yes. says it. Go check it out and, and buy podcast. it and, and show Vertigo that, hey, yes, hey, you ran a commercial. Now you see a little spike in sales. Let's run more commercials and more commercials and more commercials, and let's get people reading comics. That's so, right. Hey, happy hey, day. Jim Lee. Hey, Jim Lee. It's Dan DiDio. Yeah, we sold three of those things to some ass clowns in Kansas. More commercials. <laughs> This time we'll air them twice. You can yes. find out, uh, you can find links to During this story. Relic Hunter. And of course you can find many, many, many more news stories Relic over Hunter, at Majorspoilers.com. Is this the TV show in the B. Dalton in your brain? <laughs> no, there is a new series coming out called, is it Relic Academy or Relic Hunt? Uh, I have no idea. There's some magic, new magic, ca- I see it running on the Disney Channel. I forget what it is, but. Relic Hunter. Speaking I of things running. Speaking of yes. things running, uh, new hero history this week, Machine Man, Marvel <laughs> character. We will have a new comics casting couch hitting on Thursday this week, and be looking on the website tomorrow, well, today, or be looking on the website under contest, because we have a new contest that's coming out. It's a Twitter contest, so you better get on the Twitter. No. Yes. Are you threatening If me? you want to participate. All right, that's it for this segment. We will be right back with some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax. And hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Thank you so much to everybody who sent in a donation this week. Got a letter in this week after last week's episode. Just finished issue 205. Great job, by the way. Only recently discovered major spoilers and have enjoyed every issue thus far. After finishing the podcast, I thought an ongoing comic book series that centered on the character of Snake Plissken would be pretty fantastic. Not an adaptation of the movie, but something that could flesh out his character as well as the world he lives in. It could be approached like a road movie, each arc centering around whether a particular location Snake found himself in at the time and whether he survives or not. That's my vote. Keep up the great work. That's from Scott. I guess we hadn't thought about Snake Plissken. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's because there was a Snake Plissken series back in the 90s. Ah, well, see, there you go. You could The you Snake could. Plissken Chronicles, I think, came out from like... Uh, 
like Hurricane or Cross Gen or some such. Was that during the follow up of uh, Escape from LA or whatever it was? Uh, it would have been a little after that, but oh, yeah, okay. it was basically an ongoing series Escape featuring the adventures of, the adventures of <laughs> Kurt Russell with a with a mullet. Escape I think from it only Akron. ran like four or five issues, though. <laughs> I can understand why. Escape from, from Salt Lake City. <laughs> Escape from Akron. That would be pretty bad. Well, you know, there's Escape more and more. Escape from Vermont. There are more and more uh, properties being picked up. I mean, Dynamite just announced today that they're picking up Total Recall. That's right. And they're going to continue that series. <laughs> That's right, Great. <laughs> Next week, uh, Dynamite Entertainment is going to actually uh, finish up uh, everything from your childhood. In fact, they are going to option. Oh no, your not 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 Knight Rider, <laughs> Knight Rider, nope, Knight Black Rider, Hole, not Baywatch the Nights, Black Hole. Baywatch, Baywatch Nights, Nights. <laughs> Thundercats, a James Bond Junior. If you're wondering what Scott's talking about, do go back and listen to episode uh, 205 of the Major Spoilers podcast where we talk about this television series or this movie or whatever would make a great comic book. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, I would like to clarify one statement during that show. Which was? I was not saying that Scrubs wouldn't work as a comic because of the characters. I meant to say because of the actors playing those characters being so central to the characterization. Ah, okay. Clarification noted. All right, let's get into some... Hey, you know, if you want to get your kid into uh, superheroes and you have a really young youngster, might I suggest Robert Bobbert and mm-hmm. We Are Superheroes? Go check that Robert song out. Robert Bobbert. Robert Bobbert from his album. I hardly know it. Uh, Robert what? Bobbert and the Bubble Machine. Go check that out. That's uh, highly rated by, recommended by my uh, almost three-year-old. So, Can I tell a quick story because I'm fun? Okay. A couple months ago, I bought an issue of Tales of the Bean World. And I read it to my daughter. And she decided we needed more. So we went comic book shopping this weekend to buy more, and she couldn't find any. Uh huh. So the next morning, she, well, we, she was trying to figure out how many there were. I told her there were 21 issues. The next morning, I woke up, and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, the internet was wrong. There were 22. And she handed me a hand-drawn crayon issue. <laughs> Tales of the Bean World, number 22. <laughs> nice. Yep. My daughter is herself. now doing fan fiction. She made it herself because she wanted more. Excellent. It's a natural impulse. Excellent. My yeah. son just says, Daddy, we need to go to the store. We were going through, uh, he was reading the latest Batman Brave and the Bold comic book that features, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the one that features... Egghead on the cover. I think it's that one. But it also features Egg Foo inside <gasps> the story. Egg Foo. It's very well done. And he doesn't come off as a racist Chinese character. Uh, it's very well done. We were laughing at it. But then he gets to this uh, advertisement for Ben 10 in Action Comics. Or in, uh, not Action Comics, uh, Action Pack. Cartoon Network Action mm-hmm. Pack. And he's like, Daddy, right. we have to go to the store and get this one. I'm like, all right, we'll go check it out maybe this weekend. So kids can get into comics at a very young age. And we know a lot of you listeners are getting to comics at all sorts of ages based on some of the comics that we talk about on this site. So why don't we get into reviews since we uh, started off the topic. This week, it looks like we are all DC and DC imprints this week. So I'm Mm -hmm. sure the Marvel people will come out of the closet. You guys just don't like Marvel. Why don't you review more Marvel on the show? You just never review any any Marvel. Honestly, I'd be happy to do this just so that the Marvel people can come out of the closet. (laughs) You know what I would say to those people? I would say, I spent 27 hours writing a review of Machine Man on the website, and maybe you should just bite me. You, you, you <laughs> oh, speaking of biting, conference. speaking of biting, last uh, hey! a couple of weeks ago, 
Let's talk about Red ago. Arrow. Ha, cha, cha. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> Rodrigo talked about American Vampire number two, mm-hmm. and it actually prompted me to go out and buy the first two issues after our discussion. That and the fact that the author contacted us and was like, oh, I was interested. I'm pleased to hear your uh, comments, Rodrigo, and I look forward to seeing what you think of American Vampire number three, which came out this past week. Yep. So, Rodrigo, enlighten us in the ways of the vampire. Okay. So, American Vampire... Um is a series about vampires in America. Yay! Um, that's right. Um, American vampires are different from European vampires in that they suck the blood off of more French fries. Than <laughs> does the blood on? But does his blood they, on my chest they, they don't, stand for America? Yep. They don't. Uh, they don't pause for tea time. No. Um, the book revolves around two characters. Skinner Sweet, who is a mass-murdering bastard, and a recently created vampire named Pearl, who is kind of out for revenge because they vampirified her and left her out to die in the desert. Um, American va- and, and literally, American vampires are different from European vampires. Um, they have... They are perhaps more powerful and they can walk around during the day and previously the american vampires can walk around during the day yeah and and previously i had i had said that 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 was definitely a concern for me because a vampire without weakness is just kind of a gritty superhero sort of um but um it turns out that these vampires do have a weakness which is that um, on moonless nights they become completely um, sleepy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man, I have a nap. <laughs> Not exactly. Uh, my my weakness is I need a nap. I have that same weakness. I want to go out and feast on the living, but I'm too tired. <laughs> um, too many carbs. My name's Chloe. Let's you and me raffle. So. So that that is interesting. Although I, again, it seems like I, I think that they are trying to set up that American vampires are stronger and better than than the European vampires who have more weaknesses and less awesome elongating finger claws. Um, and I don't know. I'm still I'm still a little in the on the fence about it. Um, because I don't. It still kind of doesn't feel like a vampire story. It feels like a turf war story, which is cool. Still feels like a period piece, which is cool. Um, but sometimes it seems that these don't need to be vampires. You know, they could be some other kind of monster. Um, the one of the characters, Skinner Sweet, spends a lot of time drinking people's blood, but he's also a mass murderer. So the fact that he's a vampire doesn't affect that. Ah, Pearl who is a nice girl who got turned into a vampire, doesn't go around drinking other people's blood, and they actually haven't addressed the fact that she hasn't had any blood. Well, maybe she's doing the uh, the, the trope of uh, I guess maybe harvesting on, on actually, animals. Actually, yeah. I, actually, I guess she has. She she drank blood from a jerk, so maybe that's what she's doing. Oh, okay. Now that I think of it in a, in a previous issue. Um they're still doing the parallel storyline kind of thing. They're doing, mm-hmm. you know, now, which is like the 20s. Right. And the previous storyline, which is uh, as the kind of like turn of the century, Old West kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, 
actually prior to that turn of the century but um it's still interesting you're still we're still talking dealing with this uh kind of elderly biographer who all of a sudden has decided to just tell people that the book that he wrote on on about vampires is true and kind of dealing with that so you know there's there's a lot of stuff it's a lot of interesting stuff i'm still kind of trying to get a feel for it haven't decided quite if i really like it or not the art however is spectacular so that definitely tilts it over in a good direction um i would give american vampire number three three slices of meatloaf all right three stars from rodrigo yep is that up or down from you know i don't remember i'd have to go back and look i think it's about the same or up yeah from the last time so it's growing on you yep all right, so American Vampire number three out last week. American Vampire number four comes out, I think, in the middle of June, June twenty third, and it's got a variant cover by uh, by J H Williams the third. We had that up here on the Major Spoilers website to, today. Rodrigo, check that out. Do you think that uh, after the after the next crisis, we'll go back to the original J H Williams? <laughs> I don't know, but in an attempt to try to, I don't know, try to regroup or reform some of the stuff pre-crisis, yeah, well, maybe not the original crisis, most recent crisis, uh, we've got Brightest Day Justice League Generation Loss Number 2 by Keith Giffen, Judd Winnick, art by Joe Bennett, which, you know, Keith Giffen by itself is probably a pretty cool thing, and some people might think that Judd Winnick actually adds a little something to this tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew, you read Justice League Generation Lost Number 1, correct? In it, we find Captain Atom, Fire, Ice, and Booster Gold all trying to track down, well, all of the Justice League, trying to track down what happened to Maxwell Lord. And Booster is the only one that kind of figures it out, even outsmarts Batman. Whoa. Yeah. And gets everybody into the same building, one of the old Justice League headquarters where uh, Max Smart, I mean Maxwell Lord, um, triggers some giant device. Issue 2 picks up just shortly after that, where the four of them are trying to show Superman, hey, don't you remember the Maxwell Lord? Huh, what? I don't understand. Look here at the picture. See Maxwell Lord, uh, Wonder Woman trying to snap Maxwell Lord's head? No, I just see Wonder Woman holding up a sword. Somehow Maxwell Lord has used some power device inside the old Justice League International Headquarters to convince the entire world, everyone but the four that were inside the building, that Max Lord never existed. Mm-hmm. And in the process, Max Lord also tries to discredit these people that he still calls friends in that he's trying to save the entire world. So Fire discovers that she's no longer a knight in Checkmate. Uh, ice is still ice, although apparently she attacked Guy Gardner and he thinks that she's some crazy woman now. Uh, Booster Gold, well, he doesn't do anything to Booster Gold because in most people's minds, Booster Gold is already discredited himself many times over, which I think could probably be the key to his undoing uh, in this uh, in this series. Maxwell Lord's uh, key to his undoing. And then Captain Adam, uh, he... Th- clouds Captain Adam's mind into thinking that his commanding general is Maxwell Lord, and then he beats the crap out of his commanding general and is uh, essentially going to be court-martialed. So the bulk of this issue is the four of them trying to go around to different heroes, trying to convince them that Maxwell Lord existed, and only then realizing that they're the only four people that knew about it, when suddenly one of the old JLI transponders goes off, and they follow it to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where they meet Blue Beetle, 
the 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 current blue beetle fighting a team of omax the end so you know for a jli story that's going to run what six issues matthew is that what it's going to be uh honestly i don't know i, I can never find an indicator i think it's probably going to run six issues because that's what you do when you're writing for the trade i don't think that this second installment is bad it's kind of a catchy hook it's kind of a catchy way to convince people that uh the jli still has some relevance in in uh in today personally if they wanted to do this I, and, and again we don't really again know maxwell lord's reasoning for this if maxwell lord really I mean, if he didn't want to hide, if he actually wanted to uh, make the world a good place, I would have gone and wiped everybody's memory to forget that I'm a bad guy. I'd re-wipe them into thinking that, hey, I'm this great, wonderful person, and I'm going to take these four misfit, misunderstood people and reform the Justice League International again out of it. That's what I would have done. But again, I'm not Keith Giffen or, uh, or Judd Winnick, um, which is probably a good thing, I guess. But are you Keith Winnick? Yes, I am Keith Winnick, or Winnick Giffen, as it says on the uh, cover of the piece. Um, I don't know. I was kind of disappointed with the first issue. This one was a little bit better. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with you, Rodrigo. Three stars mm. for this for this issue. I thought it's just interesting enough to keep my attention. I think the fact that Maxwell Lord didn't screw around with Booster Gold's reputation is going to be his downfall. Um... I just miss the good old days of the JLI. That's me. Uh, oh, oh, you know what the big problem is with this, Matthew? What's that? <laughs> the big issue is, where in the damn continuity of the DC Universe does this fit? Well, luckily, Booster is a time traveler. <laughs> well, that's true. So we don't have to worry about, you know, for him, it could be six years down the line. Yeah. I don't know. It, there's just some moments where characters appear, and it's like, well, that's not what's going on in this other series. Well, also, good news is DC actually hasn't had what we strictly refer to as continuity since 2005. Yeah. So it takes place at some place we like to refer to as Didio Clock. Yeah, I just, one thing that I wish all uh, creators would get on the same stick about is drawing all the characters the alike from their various uh, different incarnations. Because yeah. Power Girl in this issue looks nothing like Power Girl in Power Girl number 12. I'm just talking about hair length, breast size. Yeah. You know, those kinds of things I'd like to see some Breast kind of length, continuity. Porthole shape. Yes. Those kinds yeah. of things. That's what the I would actual like to see. the the shape of the porthole in her costume changing bothers me. Because it's kind of square in her own book or almost Superman shaped. Yeah. It's round in JSA All Star. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's oval shaped. Yeah. I just wish that they could get some consistency in that. And, and even between issues, because last issue, uh, Ice had very short hair. And in this issue, it goes uh, down to her shoulders. So yeah, just little little things like that bother me, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. But it's still worthy of uh, three slices of meatloaf. So there you go. Justice League, Generation Lost number two. And in two weeks, we will have Generation Lost uh, number three. It alternates with uh, the Brightest Day story, which brings us down to DC's other side And now that the reviews are done, it's time for... Well, this brings us to to the other mini DC event, the uh, the whole rise make, of Arsenal stuff that's going don't, on. Don't make me read it. Go ahead, please, Matthew. Read don't, it. No, don't you're the one it. that started down this path. You're the one that wanted to see what uh, what could happen to Green Lantern and or Green Arrow, <sighs> and you're the one that that uh, that watched uh, as, as Roy Harper's daughter died, and you were the one that told us about his drug addiction and his arm getting uh, some spasmatic uh, issues. 
Spasmatic, as in cut off? <laughs> yeah, well, the uh, whole robotic arm that's attached and not attached and cyborg screwing bet, him out of I'm a just saying, cyborg this arm. This month's Luther dollar check better be huge. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the good news is I did get a, uh, a payment today. The bad news is I had to pay for website stuff uh, today. So You son of a... So tell us about Rise of Arsenal number three. Well, we got to keep this site running somehow. Rise of Arsenal number count? three. Okay. JT the Rise Kroll, of Arsenal I've number never three. heard before. I'm going to tell you the best thing about this issue. Ready? Yes. It's a four-issue mini, so there's only one more. Yay! Is that the good Justice news? League, the rise of Arsenal. Uh, part of the rise and fall thing, which is leading into the new, I think, the new Green Arrow series. I'm not sure. Uh, Roy Harper, who used to be Speedy and then was hooked on Speedy and then became the Red Arrow. Ugh had a, her- a horrible, terrible thing happen at the end of Justice League. Cry for plot coherence. Justice! Um, Prometheus came to the satellite and chopped his arm off. Why? Because Prometheus knows that when you need super drama, you find the guy who's least interesting and maim him. Uh, this issue opens with Roy having dealt with the death of his daughter in Cry for Justice, the loss of his arm, having issues with arm. He has a robot arm, but he can't wear it all the time. He's flipping out. He's uh, popping pills again, and he's basically losing himself. And he's, you know, at the end of last issue, he was confronted by his daughter's mother, uh, heretofore referred to as Baby Mama. <laughs> Cheshire for the rest of you. Cheshire. Cheshire, not Cheshire. <laughs> Cheshire, who also happens to be a killer mutant psycho with claws or something. Now, here's where this series goes wrong for me. They could have pulled this off because immediately Cheshire comes to his house and Roy doesn't have an arm, but he's willing to fight her. And they have about three pages of the fighty fighty. And she says, you were a terrible dad. And he says, you were a terrible mom. And arga, garga, garga, garga. And then they kiss. And he doesn't die from the poison instantly? Well, it, it's kind of creepy because she doesn't, she's fighting and killing and ready to be hateful until he ties her arms with an electrical cord. And then all of a sudden she's into him. Yeah, I knew a girl like that. <laughs> no, this is, was it cricket? <laughs> it was, it was cricket. Can't say. Can't anyway, say. this is the thing that really bothers me. It's not pervy enough that these two characters are fighting in costume and are only turned on at the point where, you know, it starts getting really creepy and, and tie-y-uppy. Yeah, that I could deal with. But then we have a half page where we find out that Roy can't perform. Okay, so now I'm officially on three different but he's levels. But he's not on stage? He, 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 he keeps getting um, the big hook or something? Or? It, um, let's, let's, he's having issues with the, the flight path of his red arrow. Oh, so they don't have the little blue pill in this universe. He, well, yeah, something. I don't know. And, of course, this makes him all dark and gritty, so he goes out to kill people with knives. Dun, dun, dun. Now, wait, 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 wait. Let's take a moment. He can't perform sexually, so he takes long objects and repeatedly sticks them in innocent people. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Is, so, there a, is there a panel where a train goes through a tunnel? That noise you hear is actually Sigmund Freud actually rotating in his grave. <laughs> it, it, and it gets weirder because, you know, the, the recurring uh, hallucination of his old friend, 
whom I'm not sure if the old friend is a retcon, by the way. His old friend tells him, go buy some heroin. So he jumps down into an alleyway and he beats up a dealer and then he's like, give me some heroin. So the dealer gives her some, gives him some heroin and we get a double page splash of red arrow chasing the dragon. Yay. No, not yay. Oh, I'm sorry. Boo! What are you thinking, DC? Come on, kids read these things. Well, not even so much that. You don't need a double-page splash. I don't understand. And immediately after that, he starts hallucinating that his daughter is alive. And then he hallucinates that Prometheuses are coming out of the woodwork to kill his daughter. And then he starts randomly shooting and hurting and killing anyone he can find until Batman shows up to tell him that his daughter is dead. And, of course, Batman kicks his butt. Black Canary cries about him. They tie him up in an insane asylum, or something. And we end the issue with him hallucinating the zombie body of his daughter, screaming, Daddy, why didn't you hear me? Why didn't you come to get me? So, I... I I don't have enough words to explain. And uh, once again, I... I've spent seven minutes trying to tell you about this book, and I don't have enough words to tell you what's wrong with this book. It's 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 failing as a narrative. It's failing as drama. It's failing as a superhero story. It's not even aware of its own undertones. It's not aware. It's seemingly not aware of the. I mean, the hugely Freudian problem of a character who can't get an erection then stabbing people. It doesn't. I mean. You can't end a book with a zombie child and expect me to feel, you know, like this is somehow meant to be super uber dramatic. There are, there are ways to make me, there are a lot of ways to make me feel for a character who lost a child. Right. And, you know, the fact that this man lost a child makes me want to be on his side, but he's such a jackass about it. And the story is just so overblown. It feels. It feels like Christy McNichol could walk in any moment and tell him about the danger of drugs. It's like a DC after-school story. <laughs> and I, I, I want to like it. I really do. But there's just so much with, you know, in a, in a universe where Vic Stone is basically a head on a robot body, where Cliff Steele is literally a brain in a can, you can't expect me to believe that the combined resources of the Justice League of America, covering five different planetary technologies, including Krypton and Thanagar, who have created realistic robot duplicates of everyone on the planet, can't make this man an arm that won't work. And my, my belief, my disbelief won't suspend high enough for that, much less the point where he's, you know, sleeping with his ex-girlfriend and fighting people with an electrical cord and yeah, well, you know, I think there's a whole there's a whole bigger discussion. I don't remember if we talked about it on the show before or not, but certainly when we start talking about a planet that has had alien visitations on more than one occasion, yeah. and many heroes are based on alien technologies that seem to be far out beyond anything that the current people have, why the quality of life on Earth in the DC universe isn't better than it is. Oh, yeah. I think we've had that discussion and, before. Yes, we have. So there's another discussion that we've had, uh, and I know we've at least touched on it briefly. We haven't had an extended, but the women in refrigerators problem is here in a much more overt and disturbing way. I mean, yes, Kyle Rayner losing his girlfriend to making him a hero was one thing, but taking this and blatantly killing the child to try and make Roy Harper a better hero 
bothers me. Yeah. And yes, I understand that, you know, sometimes a dramatic arc has to have bad things happen and a character has to hit rock bottom before he can come back up and rebuild himself. But there's a, there's ways that you can do it that are clever. There's ways you can do it that are workmanlike. And there's ways you can do it where it's, uh, forgive the phrase, an effing train wreck. And that's what we have here. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, no slices of meatloaf for this book. Wow. The only reason that I'm coming back next issue, and I'll be frank with you, I don't know that I'm going to buy it. I'm lucky enough to work in the store yeah, to where I'll be able to read it when it comes across the back issue bit, and it has multiple issues of every every issue of this book have made it to the back issue bins because people don't want to buy it. It's just not working. And it's so strident and loud and hateful and blatant in the things that aren't working. You know, don't get me wrong. The art in this is actually not bad. There are some moments where the art almost makes me go, okay, well, I can see where they're going for. And then we get a sequence, you know, that just comes out of left field. And if you're going to kill a character's daughter and make it a plot point, you have to be careful. It's been done well. It's been done badly. This is just, it's, I mean, it's literally booga, booga, booga. Instead of, you know, banging an armadillo, this is booga, booga. We're going to come kill your children. It's interesting when I, I don't, I've not been familiar with the, this JT Kroll uh, person who's the writer of this book. He mm. wrote one issue of X Men Unlimited, one issue of Spider Man Unlimited. Then he wrote a bunch of Fathom, Soulflyer, and other Aspen books. Are you da, threatening da, 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 da. me? No, I'm just telling you. <laughs> wrote one issue of Red Sonja. Uh, more Soulfire, JSA Classified 23 through 24, so two issues of that. Mm-hmm. Highlander, four issue miniseries. Mm hmm. Joker's Asylum, Poison Ivy, Titans, number 15 and 19, and Blackest Night Titans, three-issue miniseries, and then Teen Titans 77 through 78. So I guess he does have quite a bit of of DC uh, writing under his belt, but man, this just... I've heard nothing but bad. Which JSA classified? JSA... JSA classified number 23 through 24, April, May 2007. 23 and 24, I think... Was that the Dr. Midnight story that was... Yeah, I think it was. Dr. Midnight was in 23. I want to say... I think that was the story that introduced the whole um, people stealing metahuman organs thing that required there to be all the bodies in the basement of the Hall of Justice, isn't it? I have no idea. I was trying to look at it. I hated that story, too. (laughs) Well, there you go. Okay. You can find these and many more reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. We thank everybody for going over there every day and providing uh, a good community where people can voice their opinions without being called a nerd or a loser or a jackass or anything like that. No, no. Real, uh, personal hate attacks uh, that we have on the site. There you uh, go. Or I should say we, it's kept to a fairly good minimum. It, all, right. it, all personal hate attacks should be aimed at the staff because we're professionals and we'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That is true. I guess uh, that's what I meant by there are attacks towards us, uh, oh, yeah. not towards other, other But I don't know if you know this, Steve. We're dicks. <laughs> what? Not me. Oh, hey, yeah. Hey, after we're done with the reviews, we always do this really quick segment called... It's time. 
Is that the name of the segment? Well, it's not called It's Time for. <laughs> it's Time. It's like it's like how you're like, oh, yeah, DJ, I would like to request a song. I would like to listen to White Wing Dove. It's like, that's not what the song is called, but it's what you hear the most. <laughs> yes, exactly. Really? Because I thought it was just like the Wild Weasel. Uh, <laughs> just like, like the Wild Weasel. Yes, I would like to request. Hey, I worked in radio for years, and people would call you and go, "Can you play the song where the guy says blue all the time for like five minutes?" Blue, and you have I have blue, I have a blue, 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 <laughs> All right, so hailing from the streets of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, weighing in at seventeen point four ounces, depending on whether the eyes are solid or full, he is the Green Tornado, managed by the woman called Piggy Malian. He is Kermit the Frog, yeah, <laughs> and his opponent. Hailing from the edge of madness and hell itself. <laughs> he is 14 inches of <laughs> devil-worshipping hateness. He speaks in a voice so high that the dogs in the tri-state area call him up and say, Hey, cut it out. And we hate him with the fury of a white-hot sun. He is Elmo. Round one, fight! Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mage Bar Podcast. Why are you talking like Rodrigo? <laughs> hey, I'm Rodrigo, and this is Hot So, so uh, one of our listeners, Silver Gray, continues to write in with some suggestions for polls of the week, and he's actually doing a pretty good job of, of picking some out. Um, this week has us pitting... Silver Gray would make a great superhero. Man. Kermit the Frog against Elmo Monster. At least I'm going to call I'd him Elmo Monster. Who would win in this fight? Matthew. Well, it, it actually, I mean, there's a couple of different arguments here. One, they're both made of felt, and so it would probably be a slap fight. And two, I voted basically on the one who makes me least want to open a vein with a shrimp fork and run screaming into the streets claiming that the devil, you know, my dog told me that he was the Antichrist, and that's Kermit. Yeah. I find Elmo, I, I, I've never cared for Elmo. Now, granted... I've never been the target audience. When I was a kid, Kermit was on Sesame Street, and that may be part of it. But I find Elmo to be just grating and obnoxious and horrifying. I, uh, He's, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with you. I've got to vote for Kermit, and I will say this. I am glad that my son has moved out of his Elmo phase. His Elmo phase ended when he went from one to two. So we have been Elmo-free in this house. For over a year. Since Yay. Naughty took or, over. Not over. Not over a year, but for a year. But yeah, there is no Elmo. He is not interested in his the Elmo toy that we got him. Not interested in the Elmo video. Not interested in the Elmo go potty video at all. So uh, Elmo, I would, yeah, boy. Bad thing was for you and I, for you and I, Matthew, we grew up on Kermit yeah. the Frog. And by the time we were out of Sesame Street and into Electric Company, that's about the time when... Elmo made his appearance, which would have been right about the time that Rodrigo started watching Sesame Street. Yeah, really? But... He was that early? Yeah, it was like uh, mid-80s. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, and, and, and here's the thing, though. I didn't watch Sesame Street. I watched Plaza Sesamo. What? Which does not, does not involve Elmo. I oh, spent, this was the Spanish version yeah, of Sesame Street? Because I spent my childhood and- in Mexico. And there's a good possibility, and you know, I don't mean this to sound as horrible as it is, that 
by that time, you were probably watching some of the same episodes that Stephen and I watched a few years before. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. So, uh, uh, Elmo just, first just is- because even in the United States, it used to be that Sesame Street just re-aired a lot of stuff even right. throughout right. Uh, into the 90s. Um, I, when I was, when I was a teenager, which is when I was living, when I first moved to the, to the United States, um, I really hated Elmo. I hated Elmo and I hated Barney. Oh, well, see, you Um, were smart. Yeah. Um, and I, I just couldn't stand them. And, 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 you know, my mom would make fun of how much I hated them because I just could not stand to be in a room that was playing anything by Barney or that had any, uh, any form of Elmo paraphernalia. Yeah. Um, since then, of course, ha ha ha! How funny is fate? I've come to work at PBS, um, and you have to listen where to Elmo where in the every day I get to listen to both Barney Elmo tonight. and Barney, Barney in the background, Elmo's plus world. whatever new crazy ridiculous thing they come up with. Um, as far as who would actually win in a fight, um. I think Kermit the Frog would win just because he's older and a little bit more savvy. And, and you know, you, you think about, like, maybe people jumping in, but I think if Kermit wanted everybody to stay out of this fight, they would. Yeah. Because, you know, the Sesame Street Muppets respect them, and he's a leader of the actual Muppets, yeah. so they wouldn't get involved. This would be, you know, they, they could probably introduce some kind of shanking object, <laughs> possibly a spork, because let's face it, they can't, they're not that tough. Yeah, they're made of felt. So, um, in the end, I think Kermit would take it. So, we're all you saying know, that you know what Elmo this was really getting is? the flock kicked out of him. Yes. Oh, I agree. But a lot of times, I like to put things in sort of a wrestling motif, because it's a good way to, to quantify things if you break it down. And what this is, this is the equivalent of saying, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage versus Elviano number four. Sure, he's popular now in some places, perhaps, but this is Randy Macho Man Kermit the Frog Savage. You know, it, it's not a fight. It's not even an issue. And the spoilerites agree, by the way. 315 votes in the bag. Yes. 91% believe that Kermit would literally Elmo the elmo to the elbow yeah it would be bad i have a friend actually who believes that elmo gets chicks because of yeah because of (laughs) well l of course is spanish for the oh okay and mo well it's a long story i'll tell it sometime if anybody wants to just some quick information elmo is only three and a half in the tv series even after he's even though he's been on the Mm -hmm. uh, show for 20 years uh, first appeared as Baby Monster in 1972. 1981, he appeared in print as Elmo, and his first as Elmo appearance was November 18th, 1985. Uh, Kermit the Frog, on the flip side, uh, first appeared uh, in 1955 on the Sam and Friends show, which was actually Sam the Dog uh, mm-hmm. show. So Kermit does have a little bit of age and experience on that young I think, red. Monster. I think Otter Disaster's theory about Elmo is probably most telling. Which is? He believes that Elmo is a high functioning autistic and he imagines <laughs> everything that happens in Elmo's world. If you because are, it's all about a him. Show. Yeah, it is. And the, the, characters, the characters are inanimate objects that only come to life when Elmo talks to them. And he speaks of himself in the third person, and he can't, I mean, everything in the world is centered around him. He's probably locked in a room somewhere. 
<laughs> and he's just imagining all of this. Well, how come the, how if come he the had, fish if doesn't he had talk telekinetic powers? The fish? Oh, because yeah. he's a fish. Oh, okay. Fish don't talk. <laughs> That's Where are you uh, from? <laughs> you know, that, all, all, all the Elmo hate aside, um, the guy who plays Elmo is actually a really good performer. Yeah, Kevin, what's his yes, name? Yes. Kevin Kevin Clash. Clash, yeah. Um, and he, re- I mean, he puppeteers the hell out of that little red thing. He really does. You know, he gets his voice up there. He sings in that voice, yeah, and yeah. he sings in tune in that voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he it's pretty well impressive, yes. And I will say this. That you know, Elmo did help my son do some things. Mr. Pickles, Mr. Pickles. <laughs> I think if if you if if you want to uh to 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 lower this to like its basest aspect, yeah. Um, there are theories that say that even even in humans, yes, especially for males, there is this drive to where like there is an annoying child of like a previous thing and like you just have like this animal urge to kick it right 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 so right, that right, your right. genes will will be dominant and, right, and right, stuff right, like right, that right. elmo elicits that response <laughs> from the most erudite of men like you can be yeah. completely in control of yourself and elmo is like the most basic little yeah. annoying child and and people and and I think especially guys find it very hard to deal with Elmo. Yes, I yeah. would agree you with just, you right there. You you want to perform physical violence on Elmo. Yep. Yep. And and I don't have a whole lot of, you know, lizard brain high testosterone responses in life. It's pretty much Elmo and pornography for me and you know, the <laughs> Elmo Elmo just makes me want to kill. I will oh. flash white and I'll wake up and I'll be covered in felt and screaming. And, you know, it just, it happens. <laughs> All right, everybody, you can cast your vote in the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week by heading over to Major Spoilers or clicking the link right there in your show notes. And we're going to be right back after this. Hello, this is Dragos Kai, the snarky review guy, calling for the first time from the sunny streets of Florida. Wanted to give you a review of a comic that I had read this week. Uh, I've been in a retro comic mood for a couple of weeks now, so I picked up from the library Camelot 3000 from DC Comics. And to be honest, I'm glad that I picked it up from the library. Uh, It's not great. Even given the fact that this was written between 1982 and 1985, the art is not too great, especially the women. There are two major, there are three major women in the in this. One of here who is dressed like a slut the entire time, Morgan, who is well a slut anyway, and for some reason Sir Tristan was reincarnated as a female. But we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. <laughs> she looks absolutely horrendous especially when drawn as a guy, because they literally took the female body and threw a horrible one-star mustache on it. So, yeah, the plot is... If you don't know anything about the Arthur mythos, don't think about touching this, because you won't understand anything. I've read most of the Arthur mythos, and I didn't understand half of what was going on. And you literally jump cuts, all of a sudden there's an alien invasion, and this geeky guy runs down into a crypt and awakens Arthur Pendragon somehow. And of course, they go to Stonehenge, which was supposed to be destroyed, and awaken the great deus ex machina Merlin, who takes them to and gives them these weird 
independence that all of a sudden awakens everybody's previous identities. You have Guinevere, who is the leader of the uh, the United States forces, Lancelot, who is the richest freshman in the world. Ha ha. Tristan, who is a woman, and a couple other people that. You know, you have the black stereotype, the Asian stereotype, and the nerdy, I don't have any physical strength, but I'm going to try and be useful anyway, guy. So there's a bunch of fighty-fighty, none of which actually makes sense. Jump around, they're in space, they're back on Earth, they're back in space. Guinevere and Arthur get married again. There's some sexy-sexy going on in there. All in all, it was not easy to follow. So I'm going to try and keep this brief. Camelot 3000, if you can get it from the library, do it. If not, it's not something that you're going to miss from your 1980s collections. If you feel like following me on Twitter, I am at twitter.com slash dragoskai. That is D-R-A-G-O-S-K-A-I. Again, this is Dragoskai, the snarky review guy, signing off. In blackest day and brightest night, watermelon, cantaloupe, green light, house light. My name is the Dexter 102, and I'm speaking with my voice at 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> to give you a 61-second review of Nowhere Boy. So we go Nowhere Boy in 61 seconds, starting from now. All right, Nowhere Boy is basically John Lennon, the Smallville years. It recounts John Lennon's stories. He grew up from a little boy all the way up to going to Hamburg to form the Beatles. I think there's many bigger Beatles fans than me. And it was wonderful, it really was. Kristen Stock, Thomas and Aaron Johnson were great in the two lead roles. It was very well put together, it definitely had a very visual style. It was very reminiscent of the period, but here's my issues. One, John Lennon was really not portrayed well. He was portrayed as a big swing in fill-in-the-blank. So, some people will take issue with that, but Yoko Ono apparently liked the way he was portrayed. So, that's fair enough. And two, it's a bit slow in places. It could be heated up a little, but it was never boring. I never didn't think, yeah, this is really interesting, I like this. It's just a bit slow. It could have been speeded up in places. I was never bored by it. So, when all's well that ends well, four slices of meatloaf. Okay, everybody, follow me on the Twitter, at the Dexter 102 I tweet about things all the time, and uh, you can win my competition. If you summarise your favourite trade paperback in 140 characters or less, you'll get a shout-out at the top of the next 61-second review. Come on, Aubrey's not done a very good one, so let's come on, let's beat him off. Peace and love, everybody. Thank you so much for that little bit and for all the contributions that we received this week from everyone. And if you'd like to make a contribution to the Major Spoilers podcast, all you need to do is contact us at the Major Spoilers hotline. 785-727-1939. Listening to Dexter, I may have to talk like this for the rest of the show. Oh, no, no, no. I think you can talk in regular Matthew voice. It's quite fun, actually. (laughs) Talk like the Dexter 102. I'll be talking. It's my face. So quite a while ago, I forget when, Rodrigo, when we did this. It's been over a year, I know. I think so, yeah. We took a look at on, I don't know if it was my request or Rodrigo's request, this fantastic series from IDW uh, called Lock and Key. Uh, Welcome to Lovecraft, written by Joe Hill and, and art by Gabriel Rodriguez. The second volume just came out not too long ago, Lock and Key Head Games, which follows the adventures of the children of the Locke children uh, as they stay in the Lovecraft house and as they start to encounter a whole new round of madness and insanity surrounding these strange keys that were introduced in the previous series. 
Matthew, I think you said it best uh, in our pre-show discussion. There's a lot of sex going on in this in this series. There's there's more psychosexual stuff going on in this issue than I remember from the first. Yeah. Well, you know, in that first series, we did have um, I don't I don't I want to say more homosexual type stuff where the main villain guy uh, was uh, giving blowjobs and having sex with men so he could get across the country and mm. innuendos of um, well, there's the whole gender key that was changing right. uh, sexual preferences and that. But here we kind of. I don't know. We start to learn a little bit more about the thing that came out of the well at the end of the last book. The thing uh, in the well. In the form of Dodge. And and it starts off. And really, I got to tell you, I read this again. I read this when the issues came out because I'm so in love with this series. And if you guys haven't picked it up, it is something that you just were already. We just finished the third, the third crown of shadows. And that one gets even spookier. Um, but this one started out and I for, didn't even remember what was going on because we're introduced to this old professor guy who was in love and had a wonderful wife. And then uh, suddenly he saw this Dodge character who, what, how does he go in this? He goes by Luke Lucas. What? No, what's his, uh, Luke was what he went by in the seventies. Lucas right. Caravaggio. Yeah. I think they're calling him like Dodge. Uh, I think. Zach now. Oh, Zach. Okay. Zach so, something. So uh, this old professor who's been teaching at the Lovecraft School all these years spies this guy who shouldn't be this young, and this gets Zach slash whoever Caravaggio all freaked out. Dodge. Dodge, whatever. His name is Dodge. Gets him all freaked out to the point where he kills him and makes it look like a suicide. And it's pretty, I mean, talk about some graphic... Violent. I'm not sure how a bullet in the center of the chest is going to really look so much like a suicide. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, that is something that uh, doesn't get uh, picked up on. But we do get to know a little bit more about this this Zach character, Zach Dodge, we'll call him either one of those, uh, as he interacts with the current Locke children and, and his ability to try to find these other keys that he needs. He's really looking for the key to the black door um, so he can get the Crown of Shadows, which is what the third series is about. We also see that he is essentially torturing, terrorizing mm-hmm. um, his ex girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that relationship, Matthew. It's actually creepy as all heck. Um, apparently, I'm not entirely sure because there's Im- implications of something that happened that I don't recall from the first one. But I believe she's a gym teacher now. Right. At the high school where he's going with the locked children. Right. And he basically lives in her house and manipulates her partly just out of love slash fear, but partly, I think, by manipulating her about her son. Yes, who and is... And it's really creepy. He he literally does whatever he wants. At one point, he, he shoots the professor, as Stephen mentioned, and immediately uses his little teleport key to walk into her living room and go, help me. Right. And she's kind of lying there, and you just look, and the look in her face, it's obvious. She's like, she almost, you can look at that and think that she's ready to end her life. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as he asks for her help, she's up. It's, you know, the quintessential abusive relationship. Right, yeah. She is terrified of of what's going to happen. And she's got a son who's not quite all there. Um, Mm -hmm. And even even that kid Mm -hmm. is really, really strange because he has third-party toy conversations with his toys mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. his toys talk uh, through him. 
You know, like, ma'am, he's got a little uh, soldier toy. Ma'am, the boy done pissed himself again. The retard needs his clothes changed. And the mom's like, oh, you know, don't don't talk like that about your, you know, like this. He's autistic, obviously. But there's yeah. this creepy moment at the very end of the book, which really yeah. has no bearing into what we're talking about at the moment, where the toys are like, oh, it looks like we just avoided something's pretty scary. That was close, blah, 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 blah. And then all the toys on his shelf, all in unison, say, Sir, yes, sir. And it's not yeah. even coming from the boy. Mm-hmm. And that is yeah. this is a creepy this is a creepy volume. Yeah. It really is. And nobody in this entire book is even close to normal. I kinda I actually kinda like the fact that every single character we come across is two shades of bug fuck crazy. <laughs> and there's you know, there's moments where and of course the central the central plot, the central portion of this is the youngest boy whose name escapes me. What's his name? Bode or Bodie. 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 Yep. Bodie has discovered another key, and this particular key is the head key that you can open your brain. Well, but see, this is the cool thing. Your this, brain. Is, this is what makes the Gabriel Rodriguez art so wonderful. You do have to examine, especially in this volume, you have to examine every page that the Lovecraft house appears because... There are moments where keys are dropped and keyholes are placed where you don't see them until you really pay close attention mm-hmm. to the point yep. where, you know, he's looking all over the house to what does this key fit? Where does this, I don't know where it goes. Where does it go? Where does it go? And then suddenly if you're just flipping past it, you're not going to pay attention to it, but he's holding the key and we're looking at him from behind and there's a freaking keyhole in his neck. Yep. Not to mention yep. that, uh, and I forget where it is, but. As he's looking through, or as, as somebody's like, go play or whatever, yeah. you see like the top of, I think, their grandfather yeah, clock, clock yeah. and there's a key on top of it. Yep, the time clock. Yep. Or the time key, yeah. And that's what I said. You really have to pay attention to all these panels that are in here. And Bodhi discovers the head key, and the head key allows you to open, literally open up your head, and mm-hmm. people can look inside and see visual representations of... Your everything knowledge, in your, your head. memories, everything in your head. It's you, weird. There's one scene where they're all looking into Bodhi's head, and Bodhi's there with him. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, were you just looking into your own head? He's like, yeah, isn't it neat? <laughs> and the cool thing is, you can put things literally into your head and gain that knowledge. So if you've seen The Matrix, and you know, oh, I just learned Kung Fu. You would literally, all you need to do at one point, I, I think it's in this series, uh, Bodhi puts the uh, the cookbook in his head. And he yeah. says, "Mom, I need one TSP of or once of one t- of uh, of salt or whatever." And she's like, "What are you yeah. talking about? You know, T TSP? Oh, a teaspoon? Oh, that's Eeps. what that means." So he's gained all the knowledge. He just doesn't know how to use it. Uh, and likewise, you can take things out of your head. And so, <laughs> Bodhi does the thing that he probably shouldn't do. He shows this really yeah. cool trick. And, and Bodhi's this what? He's like got to be in first grade or something. Yeah. I'd say he's like seven, eight, something like that. He shows this to his older brothers and brother and sister. And they, of course, freak out. Until they realize that, hey, you know what? Bodhi has this fear of one of the old housekeepers, and he's pulled that out of his head. And guess what? Now he doesn't remember anything about her. Mm-hmm. And they start to play around with this head key themselves to the point where the uh, the sister... What is her? I, I keep forgetting all these characters' names. It's really bad. Yeah. Um, Something interesting. Yeah. Let's say Dave. No, 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 no. We'll find her name here. 
<laughs> so Tyler is the older brother. Right. Uh, Duncan is the uncle. Duncan is the uncle. Uh, Bodie is the, young the youngest sibling and Kinsey. Yes, Kinsey. Is the sister. So she gets uh, this bright idea in her head that she is so freaked out after the events of the last series where her dad is dead. She was the whole family was tortured essentially by this crazed teenage uh, kid. She goes uh, in and she removes fear. She removes all fear from herself and she yep. removes uh, the ability to feel sad, I think is what the other character is. The part of her that cries, I yeah. think is the way she describes it. And she puts it in a bottle and keeps these two creepy incarnations of the thing right there on her nightstand which will play a major role in the uh in the third series i'll give you that hint right now well of course if you i mean if you put a monster in a bottle on the mantle in the first act and you don't break that bottle and let it out by the third act yes you know it's the law rodrigo i like the fact that everybody is nuts and tyler is the older brother tyler has a girl that he has a crush on right Tyler wants to impress this girl by putting a key in his neck and opening his own brain. Now, and that doesn't have the effect that he was shooting for, does it, Rodrigo? No, but Tyler's no. an idiot, too. But I love the fact that the girl flips out. She's just as screwed up as everybody else. And I don't know if it's if we're supposed to think that it's the town, that it's something about the nature of this house or what. But I love the fact that everybody we interact with is... Just as weird, just as odd and strange as the, the central character. I don't think that she was just weird or odd. I just think that here's here's this sleepover that has Zach and Tyler and Kinsey and and Bodie there, and all of a sudden Bodie uh, Tyler's like, "Hey, you want to see something cool?" Click, and of course um, Zach, uh, the bad guy, mm-hmm. which we really don't even know if he's a. You know, we don't even he's know a, if he's really Zach or if he's uh, Caravaggio or whatever he is. We don't know what he's a he thing. is. He is a thing. He's just you a you thing. mentioned it earlier, a goblin. But, you know, he's instantly intrigued. Aha, this is one of the keys that I'm looking for. And I think she reacts as a normal teenager would. First, she thinks it's a cool trick. Then she freaks out. Oh, my God, your head is open. I'm getting the F out of here. And it takes him saying, oh, no, it was just a con. It was just a trick. And later, I think, don't they uh, use it on her to take the memory out? No, they don't use it on her. Oh, okay, her. not on her yet. No, she doesn't come back after she freaks out and runs away. Yeah. But it, there's, I mean, there's a lot of really interestingly weird stuff going on, because at the same time that all of this is going on, Duncan and his boyfriend yes. get in a fight with two, and this is this is something that I love, two redneck jackasses. But instead of being, you know, square-headed redneck buzz-cut jackasses, they're these redneck homophobic girls. Yes. Yeah. I love that bit. Just for some reason that, that just strikes me that they're just, you know, these, these hat wearing girls driving pickup trucks and calling other people gay. You know, it, it's a really fascinating moment for me that their, their tormentors are a couple of great big burly women. If there was one part of this whole arc that doesn't make, I don't know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Obviously, Duncan has to go back to uh, Provincetown, Massachusetts, because he's teaching a, he's teaching a class in art there. Um, and so that's why he can't be around the home, which in the previous series, wasn't there some indications that maybe the, uh, the kid's mother and their uncle may have been uh, perfect for one another, Rodrigo? Did you ever get that? Um, I don't. 
recall reading that. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really feel that. I think okay. that the mom basically starts the book out as being completely broken. Yeah. So I, I didn't really get okay. any anything from her except. I read their their interactions more as almost sibling. Okay, I just always saw a little bit of a love interest coming from that, but then you know this whole sequence, I'm I'm really not sure, except for the fact that um, Zach knows that Duncan would mm-hmm. figure things out because he was alive back then, so he's got to go and kill Duncan, and in the process we get into this uh, the two women against the. Duncan mm-hmm. and his boyfriend thing, right. where the boyfriend and ends up getting killed. It, well, Zach decides to actually just steal the memory out of Duncan's head. Right. Gets into a fight with the boyfriend, chases the boyfriend into the street, where the redneck girls run over him. It's very convenient, so, but also very odd. I just, what, does that make any sense I in the story to you, Rodrigo? Give me some, give me some thoughts. Um, well, it's a good... Like it's it's a horror movie moment. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, the monster's going to get me, the monster's going to get me, you get run over by a car. Right. Um it's also a, a, like a suspense movie mood, like move. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen um Enemy of the State. Mm-hmm. There's that scene like that very first guy that we see with the information gets on a bike and is trying to outrun the feds basically. Right. And then gets run over by a fire truck mm-hmm. on on its way to a fire. So, you know, it's it's I didn't think, because it was set up as they being there, I didn't think, like, oh, this is a little convenient or anything. You know, I just... It, it's something that really swung... That that really swings in the bad guy's direction. Right. Which is okay. It's okay when the bad guy looks out. Okay. You know, if the heroes look out to the point where it's like, eh, that's a problem. Yeah. I, well, if the bad guy's I, lucky, it's not quite a problem. It, it gets even creepier. I'm not even sure that Dodge is the bad guy. I think he's one of the elements of the story, but I'm not sure that he's... Oh, he's a bad guy. He's, he's pretty well, much he the has, primary he antagonist has neg- right now. But I'm not sure that he's actually the villain of the piece. Maybe it's just me. I look at that as... He's uh, he's definitely one of the players, and it's definitely... We, we are rooting against him. But I don't know if I would call him the bad guy, because there's just something about him that... Maybe it's just me. He's a he's a jerk, but I think he's a jerk that's almost kind of vaguely sympathetic in a way. I think if we kind of understood his motivation, well, his motivation is he wants all the keys and he wants the the main key and he wants to you know essentially get all of the power. And Mm -hmm. we really kind of learn a little bit more about that in the uh, in this creepy flashback Ellie story. Rodrigo, why don't you bring why don't you bring it down? This is actually the epilogue of the book. Yeah. Can you break down this this story down for us? It is sad and creepy and bothersome all at the same time, and kind of gives some indication of how a lot of this mess started. Um yes. So way back in like the whole book um keeps hinting at the fact that there was this group of friends which involved uh, which uh, involved the professor? Yeah, the Locke's yeah. kids were right, or Locke, Harry's Locke's father kids dad was and a the, part the of McGonagall, yeah. and they they were all mean to Snape. Um, yes, exactly. No, different movies. So, um, this this happens afterwards, as kind of Duncan is moving out of town, and you know Ellie is living with her mother, and everything, and basically we find out that, um. That Luke has 
like let use the head key to put a part of himself in a hole in the wall, mm-hmm. just kind of waiting for Ellie to uncover it. And when she does, it crawls into her head and then starts essentially manipulating her and mm-hmm. having her do things that she doesn't want to do. And there's this kind of the focus of it is that, you know, her mom is really terrible to her and to her son. Yeah. Um, but throughout this whole flashback, you actually see a lot of keys. Like she has a lot of these keys. Right. Um, and also she um, has the will house key and she has the gender key. Yep. Um. So as you know, as as this goes on, she takes she almost kills her mother, and then she doesn't have the guts to do it. Um, and her mother knows it too. And her mother knows it too. Yeah, over it. Um, and then eventually she gets her mother to the well house, and then Luke just kind of follows or or finishes the job. Luke as a girl, as a girl, yeah, because this is before he changed back but Lukina. you know we never we never see him change in 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 that direction right. to begin with so that's something that'll be uh explored in the future i'm just sure just the whole messing with people's heads and that's you know the whole point of this this volume head games messing inside people's heads with memories what it's real what's not real what's going on the fact that the uh, son ellie's son doesn't get a keyhole yep and, and maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing, and maybe he knows something that we don't. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, this is an incredibly well-done story, especially the part where, in the main story, where um, Caravaggio and, and, and Kinsey actually fall in love with each other, or he's playing her so he can mm-hmm. always be around the house, and they're kissing. That moment of the kiss... Yeah. Is just I don't know. It's just super creepy because we know how he's terrifying Ellie. We know that he's yeah. a killer. We know that he doesn't have anything but himself in mind, and yet he still mm-hmm. kisses her and gives the impression that oh, you're the hottest girl around, and I want to be with you. Ooh, I'm the new girl. <laughs> I think the best part of that sequence, though, is the bottle with her fear in it is on the nightstand. Yeah, and her fear is telling her the truth, and her fear, for once, is speaking sense. You need me. He's dangerous. You can't trust him. Her fear is telling her, you know, that there's something wrong with this creature, and she sticks the bottle in a drawer to ignore it. So, right. I mean, there's definitely, you know, that I've always said that Hal Jordan must be insane because everybody has to have fear, or else you're just a big green douchebag. So. Wait, that's a different comic book that I'm talking about. <laughs> but the fear is talking sense at this point in the game. Right. And I think it's only the fact that, you know, her fear isn't there to keep her from doing something stupid that has her kissing him. I was really afraid that when Joe Hill tackled this next arc, this this second se- series, that it was mm-hmm. going to go downhill. Uh, I don't I don't think it did. Uh, I see what you did. No, um there's and I've and I've talked to people about this this volume and uh, you know a couple a couple of my friends were like yeah it just didn't have the same impact as the first and and this one very much feels like a transitional volume right. to me yeah um but it's in no way it, it doesn't seem bad to me it's just like this entire thing is setting up the the next volume yeah. or whatever is going to happen after right. the next volume right. I forget I think we had six issues here this is a thirty six issue story this mm-hmm. whole volume that we're going through so we got six issues down we uh another six just wrapped up with the crown of shadows uh so that means we have 
what, 24 more issues to go in this saga. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, when you guys read that third volume, it gets even mm-hmm. it gets even scarier and scarier. And we find out some more some more keys and what they do. And what's interesting and, and it's very funny when you go to the IDW um application for the ipad you know they sell mm-hmm. these digital comics or you go through iverse and you're trying to get them it's funny because they have the uh first volume welcome to lovecraft they have all six of those issues and then they have all six of the current crown of shadow or up until i think the last two or three crown of shadows issues mm-hmm. they don't have volume two yet so there's nice. a big jump in that which i found was a little odd second thing was i purposefully even though i have the single issues i went out and got the hardbound trade of this because there are some very cool extras in this book that i think are worth mentioning first of all the um the uh schematic of the or the elevation of the house the side elevations from the north south east and west of the key house Mm -hmm. i think is very fascinating and someone could probably take this and put it into a cad application and come up with something very cool but the other thing that's neat is there is a breakdown of all of the keys that have been found so far the anywhere key which will open a door to anywhere the head key, of course, which we've been talking about here, the gender key, the echo key, which is the wellhouse key, the ghost key, which we saw in the first volume, which allows you to turn into a ghost, and then the omega key, which we don't get to really learn too much about because it's been uh, burnt on these fake pages from a diary of uh, Benjamin Pierce Locke. If you look closely, it's burned in the shape of the key. Yes, and again, this is where I think Gabriel Rodriguez does an excellent job in the art. There's a a big sequence that talks about the cave and this Lovecraft station in this volume. In the third volume, we actually explore this this cave in greater detail. And when you pay attention to what's going on, you'll actually see the Omega symbol many, many times down in that that cave. It's just Mm. so very cool and so well done. I like this backup content. The uh, Gabriel Rodriguez goes in and does a breakdown of... How does he get a, a panel done in the process of going in and developing a single page in the series? Um, and I thought that was very fascinating. So well worth, I think, the hardbound volume here. Rodrigo, mm. was there anything else you want to touch on on this series? Some thoughts, some ideas, some concepts, or things um, that you liked or dis- disliked about the series? No, it's 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 really solid. Um, I like... Uh, Pretty much everybody whose head gets open gets a splash page so you can see it. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the idea that adults begin to lose their ability to interact with the keys mm-hmm. um, and, and to sort of understand what's happening. Um, it seems convenient, but <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Um, and, and it certainly played well so far um the you can also see that usually the older a character gets the grayer their head gets um, oh on the inside yeah, yeah to where you see um you know Bodhi's st- uh, head is full of color and then later on you see um his brother's head mm-hmm. who and the pretty much the only thing that has color there is his dad's ashes right in an urn right um so it's you know, and then when you get to Ellie, it's all black and white almost. Yeah, yeah, visually, visually, there's so much there and so much for you to get. Um, you know, at the 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 last line when she uh, when Kinsey kisses the the bad guy, mm-hmm. um, 
He's like, mm, bananas. Mm, and bananas. like, they never point it out, but when he is at her uncle's house trying to murder him yeah. or trying to manipulate his brain mind, um, he's he's just eating his bananas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's well, well, well done. Matthew, some thoughts, likes or dislikes overall? It reminds me of something that I really loved when I was a kid. I loved A Wrinkle in Time and the books that came after it. Mm-hmm. And I had mostly, you know, kind of sort of mostly forgotten about that. This volume to me is actually more successful than the first because the, the first one is a little more to me by the numbers, I guess, mm-hmm. more straightforward type of story. You know, this is what happens and then this happens and, you know, we get to the end and there's a monster in the well and, ah! and then this volume has so much more ambiguity to it. And so much, I don't know even how to describe it. There's just that that thought process where, I don't know, I think maybe I was nine or ten when I started looking around and thinking that everybody in the world had the same crap going on in their head that I had going on in mine. Yeah. And everybody had their own little world in their head. It was really freaky. And I had trouble, you know, wrapping my brain around that particular concept. Eventually I came to it, but... That's kind of what this particular arc does for me. I really like seeing anybody, everybody's inner world and everybody's inner life and everybody being just as nuts as everybody else. But I also like the fact that, you know, we had that first introduction to the world and now it's not necessarily progressing as a straightforward adventure or an action story. It's, I mean, it's going someplace almost more realistic because the, the story isn't, uh, then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. It's all about life and the things that get in the way. I, yeah, I highly recommend this volume probably more than the first volume, which I liked. I feel like this to me is actually a stronger overall story. Yeah. I don't know this. And you the, know, the problem with the problem with lock and key is it's released mm-hmm. from a publisher that is not as out there in front of your face as DC and Marvel. So if you're at a place where you where your your comic book store or your bookstore or whoever doesn't carry the IDW titles, it's going to be very difficult for you to follow this when it comes out monthly or bi-monthly or whatever its release schedule is. And if you miss a chapter, you're going to miss out on on some good storytelling and it's going to become very confusing later when you try to pick it up. And I think that's my major complaint about this, even though I have picked up and made sure that I've gotten every single issue. I still think there's one issue of the uh, Crown of Shadows that slipped by me somehow, mm-hmm. and thus my my total love for the for the third volume is kind of tarnished because of that. Yeah. And I'm going to have to sit down, I'm going to have to reread the entire series from start to finish again. But this is, a, I got to say, oh wait, you know, I didn't realize this until just now. Flip over to the back cover of your book, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. If you like your comic books filled with magic, murder, mystery, and mayhem, then Lock and Key Head Games is the series for you. Five out of five stars. Major spoiler, Steven Schleicher right there on the back. Nice. Who's that, that is, Schleicher? That's person. pretty cool. I just I just literally flipped over to the back and was looking at this and as I was saw peeling your off. own name. And saw my own name. I was like, what the? Hey, that's pretty cool. Uh, this really is. I think Lock and Key Head Games... <laughs> is definitely a if you like the first one and I know a lot of people did you're going to like this this second one even more. I still give it a thumbs up must read recommendation. Oh definitely. Um mm-hmm. go out, get it, get this nice hardback if you haven't been oh, able yeah. to to track down the individual issues. Um definitely if you haven't picked up the first volume, go out and pick it up. 
this, like Stephen said, going back and rereading this, uh, every new volume that you read, every new issue that comes out, makes you want to go back and see what you missed previously. Yeah, there's a because lot because there is a lot like. There is like basically the characters are tripping all, over all the foreshadowing. Yes, like seriously, it's ridiculous yes. how much like how much everything that is in one panel is then mirrored in the panel in like three panels later, and it's a big reveal. Like this is happening throughout the entire arc. It's kind of amazing. Definitely a big recommendation for me, Matthew. I agree. It's three for three. This is something that it, it's you know it's a common complaint, a common refrain that we hear is comic books don't have to be about superheroes. We want to see different. We want to see something, you know, that isn't exactly what we've read before, or it isn't, you know, related to a guy in a costume or what happens to a guy in a costume. Yeah. So I'm, you know, having the, the protagonist of the book be kids works, having that really strong horror slash thriller vibe really works. Not thriller in terms of, you know, Michael Jackson raising zombies or anything, but thriller in terms of you look at it and you're like, ah, there are moments yeah. in this book where, you know, I sitting in my living room in broad daylight, went, blah, yes, <laughs> oh, yes. that's creepy. Yeah. Ah, you know, uh, and of course, you know, go it's, ahead. it's got a dildo. So you got that. Going yes, it does have a giant vibrator hidden in the wall. Um, some of our listeners have some good thoughts uh, to say about this. And I'm really surprised because this is a book that really rates really well but a lot of people haven't read it but litany of thieves has read it he said i devoured this series absolutely loved it it was actually one of the first things i picked up after reading the review on the site i think the world joe hill creates uh, is amazing fantastic and whimsical yet dark and sinister which reminds me of old fairy tales before they were sanitized for children he builds a mythos from the ground up and despite its fantastic and outlandish nature it feels lived in real and complete i think the thing that really sucks you in in this volume is the fact that the reader knows Zack is behind everything, yet Kinsey and Tyler have no idea, and every time some character realizes what Zack is, it's too late. A good horror movie has you shouting at the screen, don't go in there! And that's the feeling head games give you. You're rooting for the heroes while cursing their narrow vision. I also love the idea of the different magical keys. It's a concept that could seem like something that belongs better in a video game or children's gotta-catch-em-all type show, but instead of letting the heroes get those keys one by one and become more powerful... Giving them to the villain, who's always two steps ahead of the lock kids, gives it an even more desperate nail-biting suspense. That's from Litany of Thieves. I just like the fact that there are keys scattered throughout everywhere, mm-hmm. and some of them we don't even know, like the the clock key, the, the time key. Mm-hmm. We don't even know if that's going to appear. and didn't appear once in the whole third volume. Right. And so who knows if that will even appear. Just finding those keys is half the fun. And, and, and he brings up an, a, a, a very important point. There are a lot of good stories out there and social stories out there and bad stories out there that are like, here's my take on Norse mythology or here's me taking this fairy tale and seeing what I can do with it. Like, this is this is from scratch. This is storytelling. I, I, I mean, there are elements that are reminiscent of other things. Right. But he's, as far as I can tell, he's making this stuff up as he goes. Yeah. I mean, this is not a take on something. This is a like a brand new... Nice original story. Yes. Yes. Not everybody does like it, though. Hmm. Rob says, I really enjoyed the first arc of Lock and Key. Sad to say I had a lot of troubles or issues with this arc. I was glad to see the beautiful art return, but that's all I can say that was good. 
I feel the story lost much of its magic with the main key of the story pretty much working anywhere. I thought the original concept was these keys worked on the home property only, but seeing head key working on any head anywhere lessens my enjoyment greatly, which I don't think there was anything said in the first series that the keys only worked on the property. I mean, certain keys only work in certain doors on the property. I think... I, I think the 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 appeal of lock house yes loose is is lost a little bit when you realize that some of the keys mm-hmm. work everywhere. Yeah, he says uh, the first arc, the keys were introduced with Bodhi's adventures, and I like this introduction. We see the same thing happen here, but only briefly. Quickly, the key is taken from Bodhi and used by the other lock kids and Zach. In one pa- panel, Tyler is yelling at Bodhi for opening his head, and the next one, he's opening his head and showing a girl from school who freaks out and runs away. Zach gets the key and starts pu- pulling memories from whoever he chooses. This I won't even comment on. I don't think we saw the character grow as much uh, as been manipulated by... Let's see. I don't think we saw the characters grow as much as has been manipulated by Zach. The villain manipulating the heroes is a common thing, but I think the heroes need to be somewhat matured for it to have actual effect on the readers otherwise i think this is it is it otherwise i think it as it is as effective as death in the dc universe i would have preferred this story to be more focused on the lock kids and less on zach and his history i was willing to continue reading this series until they threw in the damn forbidden love crap i'm tired of this being added in for extra level of drama or as another hook and i hate it being added as a cliffhanger i enjoyed the first arc lock but after reading this arc i pulled lock and key off my read list i had high hopes for this series but it wasn't what i was looking for now the thing is again this is a 36 issue story mm-hmm. so what we're really reading is chapter 1 of four chapters Crown of Shadows continues on to this, and I don't know what the, uh, I think the solicitations that IDW sent out on the Major Spoilers website list the new series. Let me look at that really quick. Any thoughts or comments on on, on what he, what Rob said? Uh, I mean, I, I see what he's saying. Um, I just, I, I see it as further complications being added. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I, I think that the 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 home definitely the homosexual themes are are handled well right although maybe not in the best way possible like uh, it's mm-hmm. not treated as a thing which you know uh, based on where you are as far as that can be an, a problem or not a problem you know what i'm saying yeah, it, yeah. it's it's kind of it's still a thorny issue so you throw out the fact that these two guys just live together is like so was this to, supposed to be like a big reveal that he's gay or not at all a big reveal and what about the the two that are clearly yeah you know for all intents and purposes supposed to be big butch trucker lesbians and they don't make an appearance beyond this um yeah i mean what what was necessarily the deal with that so uh, you know that was the part that was the little troublesome it it was uh, it's probably the weakest part for me Mm -hmm. it seemed a little bit more like the artist make or or the writer making a statement that still kind of fell flat right more than anything else but that's about the only complaint i had with it so you have plenty of time to catch up on the next crown of shadows series that we've been talking about Mm -hmm. because in august we have to now wait until august for the next arc, which is called Lock and Key, Keys to the Kingdom. As the new arc begins, Bodhi Lock discovers a key that unlocks the world to tooth, fang, claw, and feather in a story that leaves hundreds dead. Hundreds of birds, that is. No, seriously. August. We gotta wait till August. All summer long. 
can't get any lock and key. But you know what? Mm. I think this series, as you mentioned before, it is a horror series. And I think horror-type tales like this do read better in the fall and winter months. Uh-huh. You know, just something about it where you kind of get that changes in the air and spookiness. So, all right. Anything else you want to add, Matthew? Mm, I like cheese. All right. And thank you so much, everybody, for that little bit. Uh, cheese is available at your local store. Colby Jack <laughs> or Swiss? Uh, actually, I'm a big fan of really sharp white cheddar and also wow. uh, pepper jack. There you go. Uh, Lock and Key you can find at most good bookstores or you can order it online. And this weekend on the Major Spoilers a Weekend Show, we're going to be diving back into the brand new volume of previews, which arrived this past week. And then we're going to be back next week with more comic-y goodness because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010